Well, hello and welcome to a photographic life. And I suppose I should also say welcome to 2021. You're certainly welcome to 2020. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot of reading. It is that time of the year, isn't it? When things quieten down a little bit. And I actually found some time to catch up on that huge pile of books that have kind of been growing uh, next to the side of the bed. A few of those books included uh, David Bailey's uh, autobiography and the autobiography of John Cooper Clarke, also uh, the punk poet, radio uh, presenter and many other things. And also Sam Gilmore's autobiography, Featherhood. Sam Gilmore, um, an interesting character, the, the son of Heathcote Williams, the poet. Anyway, so I was catching up on all of those books and... They all seem to have uh, something about them that seemed to me to have huge relevance and particularly relevance with the Bailey book. And that relevance is the importance of childhood influence on what we do, how we do it and who we are. This is certainly something that I explored in the Bill J film, uh, something I haven't mentioned for a while. So if uh, you are a new listener to the podcast, uh, I did make a film with uh, the great Tim Pellet on Bill J uh, called Do Not Bend, The Photographic Life of Bill J. If you're not aware of Bill J, check him out. You can do all of that at um, do not bend, uh, film.com. But anyway, the, the point I wanted to... Uh, really discuss, I suppose, was I really enjoyed all three books that I've just mentioned uh, in different ways and for different reasons. Uh, I know Bailey and I've worked with Bailey for a long time and so I was interested to read his book and it's fascinating um, in the discussion of his childhood and his upbringing and really uh, interesting, really good. Same with the John Cooper Clarke book, actually growing up at a slightly later period, more kind of 1950s, late 50s into the 60s, whereas Bailey was more kind of late 40s into the 50s. And Sam Gilmore's book, which is very much about, I think, probably the 1980s and 1990s growing up. All of these books deal with those memories of childhood um, with great detail and great emotion and, and I would say a certain amount of romanticism about that sense of memory. But the interesting thing about the Bailey book for me was that um, it suffers in the way that so many things that Bailey does, did and do, is that towards the end of the book, it kind of loses focus and it starts to talk about things which have been happening recently, which obviously are important to him but in the bigger scheme of things, have none of the relevance of the uh, experiences that he discusses from his earlier life. It made me think about the photographer who puts the latest picture on the website, thinking that because it's the most recent piece of work, therefore it must be the best. That is so rarely the case. And that's exactly what Bailey often does. He'll put a book out of or an exhibition of all the, the greatest hits and then to sort of show relevance, chuck some images in he's recently taken at the end. And um, quite often they're, they're weaker than the majority of the work and they let down the rest of the work. And I think that's something we should all think about. 
before we start putting work up on a website uh, for people to judge us. We really need to look at it objectively and look at it as, our, as part of our greater body of work. And actually think, does it stand the test of time? A photographer who I know often says to me that if you're lucky, you'll get two or three really strong images a year. And as we start the year, maybe that should be our expectation. Therefore, if we look back over our careers, it makes sense that the work we show is very much a body of work based on that lifelong experience. And we should be very careful of chucking in new work just because it's new. Now, I was also doing some academic reading over the last couple of weeks uh, alongside those um, autobiographies that I was just discussing. And I came across an article where an academic was talking about the death of the camera and how we were in danger of losing the camera. And they were kind of aligning that with analogue photography. As regular listeners know, I have no problem with analogue photography at all. And in fact, I, that's the, the era I grew up in and I worked as an analogue photographer for a good seven, eight years. Maybe a bit longer, actually. Anyway, regular listeners will also know that we don't often talk about cameras on here, but we're going to sort of tangentially. What shape does a camera have to be before it's a camera? What defines a camera? Is it its shape? Well, I saw recently that Panasonic have launched the DCBGH1, a new box-style Lumix mirrorless camera, which actually looks nothing like a camera as you might perceive it to be. It's a square black box, which actually looks very similar to a lot of the film cameras that filmmakers are using, like the Red or the Arri. Well, Lumix go on to say that with today's increased demand for streaming, in addition to traditional broadcasting, the Lumix BG H1 provides a versatile solution in the form of an easy-to-use expandable camera that can be used in multi-camera drone IP remote control and live streaming environments. It shoots stills as well, of course. Well, what's interesting to me about that is how they're perceiving a camera as being a multifunctional tool that doesn't look anything like a camera. It reminded me of, some of you may remember, the Olympus O product or Bakelite Puma cameras or the Samsung Porsche cameras, all of which played with the ergonomics of what actually makes a camera. If you think about it, Polaroid did exactly the same. I feel very strongly that a smartphone is a camera and it should not be defined as something other than a camera, although it is, like that new Panasonic's, multifunctional. Therefore, isn't the definition of a camera something that makes photographs and not something that looks like something that used to make photographs in the past? To start the new year off, we have, of course, the first of our photographers contributing to the ongoing stream in describing to us what photography means to them. And this week, I'm really pleased to welcome Buku Sakar, uh, who's a photographer and a writer. And she grew up between Calcutta and New York. 
and her work is centred on the Park Circus Basti, the largest Muslim slum in Calcutta. Saka writes mainly fiction, although her first screenplay was due to go into production in 2020. I don't know what happened to that. I hope it sees the light of day at some point. And her writing and her photographs have appeared in various magazines and journals. As I say, she lives now between Calcutta and New York with her ridgeback dog Julius and her cat Izmi. And her photographs have appeared in Documentum Journal, issue one, guest edited by Stephen Shaw, uh, the New York Times Lens blog and the Huffington Post. Her work has been exhibited in Los Angeles, New York and Miami. Photography to me is no different than writing fiction, really, which is my first profession. It is a way of trying to understand something, a way to explain to myself an idea, a world, a way of reconciling, a way of exploring something I don't know that I'm curious about. That's what photography and fiction both mean to me. I started photographing at a time when I was very unwell and it became impossible to write, to even think about writing. Photography was easier in that in writing you can spend hours and days going over and over a sentence, trying to capture that twinkle of an idea that's been hanging over your head. It's there, it's right there in front of you, but you just can't get to it. With a camera, if you're lucky to chance upon it, you just have to hit click and you have it in an instant. Sometimes you don't even know what you have till you see it later, but deep in your gut you know you have it. That's something. Of late I've been working on a new project on cities and photography for me has come to mean two things in the process. Creating and tracing memories. Ironically, the creating memories has been in Calcutta, a city where I grew up but left when I was 17, where I should have had many memories, but I don't. I remember my childhood like fleeting scenes from a film. Photography has been a way of rediscovering and reinventing memories, admiring the city through adult eyes, actually realizing for the first time in my life that I can live here, that I love living here. I used to hate this city growing up. In New York, on the other hand, I lived there as an adult from the age of 19 onwards. But I found myself returning after a five-year absence, walking through the same streets, the same houses, the same bars I used to visit when I had first arrived. I'm 20 years older now, but it was that old life, that young me I was looking for in the windows, on the streets, with my camera. Here, photography was not a way of discovering, but of remembering, perhaps of all the things I'd run away from when I moved back to India. But it's strange because it's usually the very distant past, the childhood, that one tries to remember, not the past that is closer to you. I think with each new project, photography has come to mean something else, something more. With my first project, Photo Valididi, where I had been documenting the residents of a basti or slum, as it's called in English, it was a way of making the city my own again. I had no adult memories in the city, no space of my own. Photographing and spending time with the basti dwellers was a way to reclaim the city and rediscover her and appreciate her in a way I never had growing up. But documenting poverty, I soon realized, was not so simple. My relationship with the people in the Basti and the girls, the young daughters in particular, was born out of an innocence and naivete that has 
perhaps become my biggest boon in, in this industry that abounds with thoughtlessness. Because I was so unaware of the going-ons of the photographic world at that time. I was so new to it. Over and over I have asked myself this. Who am I? What is my agenda? I did have one at first, although it sounds quite simplistic now. I wanted to take their photographs because I was trying to recreate a story and that made me happy. I liked to give them prints back because it made them happy, which in turn made me happier. Because even charity is an act of self-centeredness. In recent months, a famous image keeps coming to mind. You must all remember this. Um, it's of a man who had fallen to, into the tracks of a New York City subway. You can see the steady light of an oncoming train through the dark tunnel. And it was recorded moments before his death. There was a huge uproar when this image was published, I think, by the New York Post. The station was empty, or nearly so. Yet this photographer had chosen, instead of helping the man to get up to safety, to photograph him instead. Photography as a visual, media, visual medium could have been that universal language that brings everything and everyone together. That's what makes photography not common, but in fact more powerful. How to use that universal tool. But ironically, I find that it separates the photographer from the world even more. The camera acts as a buffer between a person and a world and also creates a situation where we just don't interact with the world anymore. We're too busy recording our lives for social media to actually be in that life. I think this has been my biggest problem or rather hurdle in understanding this world. This huge rush to get a project done, to get this picture taken. So much so that we forget all the things that should be important. Dignity, respect, understanding. It puzzles me how much effort it takes for someone just to be human. Thank you, Buku, for your contribution this week. I think a timely reminder of what's important in photography and as a photographer. I really recommend you check out her most recent ongoing body of work, which is titled The Containment Diaries. You can see that on her Instagram page, where she's uh, documenting the process of that work coming together in great detail with some very informed uh, commentary. As people know who listen to the podcast, I never listen to the contribution until you do. And therefore, the first time I've heard that contribution was then. There was no planning involved in me talking about memory at the beginning of this podcast. It just happens that way. It never ceases to amaze me how many of those synchronicities occur. But there we had uh, Buku talking about that importance of those early childhood memories and that relationship, that kind of romantic relationship she has with those. Also really interesting from my perspective that she's a writer and a photographer and she sees the, the coming together of narrative through the written word and the photographic image, something I speak a lot about and I've written a lot about um, in my books. And speaking of books, it also sort of makes me think it's time to sort of remind you once again that if you enjoyed uh, that particular contribution, although um, Buku isn't in the book, 89 professional award-winning photographers are, and they're from all around the world, and they're all explaining what photography means to them. 
The book is called What Does Photography Mean to You? It came out just at the end of last year. It's £9.99 plus postage. It's a lovely small size to fit in your pocket and you can get a copy from bluecoatpress.co.uk. That's the only place you can buy it from. So I really recommend that you kind of check that out because it picks up on so many of the themes that we've been talking about this week. So if the idea of memory and narrative and storytelling and the romantification of the lives in which we live are of interest to you, you'll find lots of other photographers in that book picking up on exactly those themes. And as we start a new year, perhaps that's a good place to start with that kind of remembrance of what we do and what's intrinsically important to what we do. If I try and tie up a few loose ends here, it's not about the camera. It's never been about the camera. It's always been about our personal desire to tell the stories that are important to us. What are the stories that matter, that move us? What are the uh, stories that challenge us, that we're intellectually interested in? They're the stories, just like as a writer wants to write those stories, as a photographer, we should want to tell those stories photographically. So the story is the starting place, just as this episode is the starting place for this coming year. A story is going to unfold and goodness knows what that story is going to be. We certainly had no idea at the beginning of 2020 what 2020 was going to be like. And I think it would be fair to say that we have no idea what 2021 is going to be like. I know that on this podcast, which will keep coming out every week, we've got some great photographers every week from a broad spectrum of practice of age from around the globe from literally down the road from where I live, to New Zealand, to Russia, to South America, to the United States and across Europe. All of those countries have been affected by the same thing in the last year, COVID. And really hope that as we progress into this new year, we all get to, I suppose, come out of our lockdowns or come out of these situations thanks to the vaccine. But we don't know for sure. But we can only hope. And of course, the most important thing of all, as I say at the end of every podcast, is to take care. <laughs>